Hello and welcome to Zurich's Perspectives, Zurich Canada's podcast where we deliver market insights and thought leadership. My name is Alvin Alum and I run the customer distribution and marketing function for Zurich Canada. Today is our ninth podcast. So by now, since the beginning of the year, we've covered the main topics germane to commercial insurance, property, liability, cyber, DNO, supply chains, and regulatory. But when companies purchase insurance, they really buy protection for when adverse events put their business at risk. So when these things happen, unfortunate events happen, and they tend to happen frequently, um, and that insurance policy that very few people actually read, um, that's when that policy comes in handy. Now, this is going to lead us to the topic of the day, which is claims. To help us understand claims and what goes on in the world of claims, I've asked Joe Fidelio, the head of uh, Zurich Canada Claims Department, to join us in the conversation. Joe joined Zurich um, Canada in August 2019. Uh, Before that, he ran another large claims team at a competitor for many years. And prior to that, Joe practiced corporate law at a big law firm. I will be asking Joe how he built um, a claims organization, which is now rated one of the best in the country, according to broker surveys. Here's our conversation with Joe. Joe, good afternoon. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks, Alba. Happy to be here. Uh, It's good to have you. Um, So let's talk about claims. Zurich in 2020 collected $1.2 billion in gross written premium. How much of that did we pay in claims? So in terms of claims payments for 2020, we paid uh, just under $600 million. $600 million. So half of what we took in, we, we paid in claims. And obviously, there is reserves, right? So it's not like we make $600 million of profit. So, so let's be clear. The $600 yeah. million... Dollars- is payments made. That's not right, totally yeah. heard. That's not right, reserves. Right. That is the actual money leaving Zurich and going out the door. Right. Okay. That's good. So these could be like old claims that were paid in 2020 or new claims in 2020 that were also paid in 2020, right? Right. So all payments that were made from January 1st yeah. to December 31st yeah. in, in 2020 came to just under $600 million. Okay. That's a big chunk of money. Um, big chunk of money. Zurich Canada has 500 employees, give or take a couple. How many work in, in your area, uh, Joe, of the 500? So when we are fully staffed, because we do have some vacancies that we're trying to fill, we are going to be at 105 uh, this year. So a little so 20, over 20%. 20% of Zurich Canada employees work in claims. Well, when you think about the fact that we've paid out $600 million in claims, you need people to administer that. And, yeah, yeah and no, to- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, you've been in the role since August 2019, I believe. Um, yep. And you were sort of in a similar role at one of our competitors before. What have your priorities been? So, I mean, my priorities really align with the overall Zurich Canada priorities and bringing us together as a, as, as a country unit. I think, you know, Prior to us consolidating the claims team, there were 37 different reporting lines directly into the U.S., and we've changed that so that all management uh, relationships from on the claims side are directly here in Canada. So all of the claims team, whether it be the claims professionals, the operations side, uh, they all report into me, and I report uh, into into Saad. Um, 
in turn. So we've been we've been working on that consolidation. We've been working on ensuring that um, our processes are efficient, that they make sense, that they are customer centric, that we are uh, following. Um, we're we're basically making changes that make sense from a customer journey perspective, and that's really what we've been focused on for the last year and a half. Now, usually we we sort of classify claims under two sort of big buckets. There's frequency claims, and then severity claims, or complex and maybe less complex claims. Is does your organization sort of um, match those those big buckets? Are you organized that way? Um, yes, we we are. We have, I mean, we're organized by line of business for, for first and foremost. So, from a claims professional mm -hmm. standpoint, from the from the adjuster standpoint, um, we have three major uh, organizations. We have the specialties organization, which deals with all the DNO, surety, ENO, employment practices, etc. All those lines of business. We have liability, which is predominantly casualty, umbrella, excess. And we have our property and first party lines that, and within those lines of business, we have um, teams that work on sort of high volume, low severity. And then we have teams that are a little bit more experienced and work on highly, highly complex or complicated, uh, complicated matters or high severe, high severity matters. And, and those complex claims could be any, in any lines of business, right? It doesn't have to be, Correct. and it doesn't have to be a cat event no, um no no and any yeah. i mean anything any policy any uh from any one of our underwriting units could could generate a very large loss just because you know it, it's not a multinational corporation doesn't mean that a large complex loss can't be generated from our mid-market for example or our programs right. business mm -hmm. it, it's really going to be dependent on the claim itself as opposed to where it's coming from Right, so you're sort of customer segment agnostic, right? Um, it doesn't matter if it's the mid-market regional account or large account, what matters is the size of the claim and how complex or not complex that specific claim is. In terms of the way that we assign the claims, yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. We make sure that it gets to the right level of expertise. We've talked about our CAT responses. Um, so Zurich in the US has a, um, I think it's called a cat team. So when we see a yep. hurricane uh, coming from a distance, we we would deploy these assets, um, whether it's in Texas, Florida, or wherever is pertinent. Um, do we have something similar in Canada? Um, how do we do we have a we, a we do we we yeah. do so we have some of our team members are designated as cat professionals. So what what happens in the event of a cat? We have a cat lead who will. Uh, Bring the team together. Bring the cat team together, and in advance of a in advance of a, of the cat actually hitting, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a storm, etc. If we have notice of it, what we'll try to do is map our customers to whatever event is where we're anticipating. Uh, make sure that we are getting in touch. We are offering our services, giving mitigations, uh, giving out mitigation strategies, and then obviously once the cat hits. Uh, whatever the event happens to be, then we try to make contact to make sure that that our customers are, uh, whether they need help, whether they need assistance, if they're okay, what's going on, and how we can sort of uh, make the the rebuilding or the you know the the uh, that process easier for them. Mm -hmm. um, I know that 
part of what you've been working on uh, since you joined Zurich has been sort of this finding the the line between internalizing, um, you know, what you think Zurich claims should be doing at you know at Zurich versus externalizing some some of these functions. Um, do you have do you have a clear idea now within Zurich Canada as to what we need to sort of take in house versus what we need to outsource in terms of claims functions? For sure, we're getting a better balance. I think we were mm -hmm. very much um, heavily reliant on external resources before, and we still obviously want to partner with uh, whether it be external TPAs, internal external adjusters, uh, to provide us with services that that we need in order to do the best job for our customer. At the end of the day, right? We want to get the customer back to doing what it is that they do as quickly as possible, because this to them is a claim to them as a disruption. We want to minimize that disruption. That's, that's, that's really our job is to get them back to where they were prior to the claim actually, uh, or whatever the event was that, that led to the claim uh, actually happened, right? So that, that's, that's our ultimate goal. And it's really about making sure that we are balancing the resources, whether they be external or, or, or internal, and I think we're doing a much better job now. We really do want to target what external resources do as opposed to providing broad um, broad um, mandates for them. Um, that way, ultimately, the customer gets the benefit of Zurich having the control of, of, over what's happening in the claims adjustment. The relationship and the accountability is ultimately with Zurich. So the customer knows that if there's a problem, it's Zurich that's going to resolve it for them, that we are here to make sure that it goes as smoothly as it possibly can. And that our external resources really are there to provide targeted uh, targeted services that that we need them to, to, to accomplish, but ultimately accountable to us. And we are we in turn are accountable to the customer. Some of the discussions that we're involved in with um, in speaking with our um, broker partners, especially, it is really true across all the customer segments, but I would say it's particularly acute in the large account space and sometimes even more with global customers, those that have operations, not just in Canada, but around the world is, is contract certainty. Do you do you think that the industry in general, I'm not speaking about Zurich here in particular, but we'll get to that in a second. Do you think that overall the insurance industry is doing a better job at giving some contract certainty to its customers today than where we were five or 10 years ago? So let me, let me put it this way. I think from a contract certainty perspective, we deal with thousands and thousands of claims every year. Very few of those are ultimately disputed from a coverage perspective. So obviously we're doing something right when mm -hmm. it comes to ensuring that the parties understand what the respective obligations are, what risks are transferred, what risks aren't transferred. Um, I think there is there's always going to be an evolution of underlying intent. And if you think of things, if you think of lines of business like cyber, for example, which is evolving, the, the cyber risks are evolving exponentially and very, very quickly. If you have a form that was written a year, two years ago, it may not contemplate ultimately some of the risks that are currently emerging. And so really the issue becomes how do we ensure that our intent keeps up with the emerging risks and that we stay ahead of that. And I think that's, that's probably an area 
where we have some 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 focusing to do. Mm -hmm. And so, whether it's a manuscript form, i.e., a policy that was written by a broker or a company form, we're all going to be better off if our intent is clear. If the broker and the customer understand what we're trying to do, and we obviously understand what the exposure is right. to, to, to Zurich so that we can craft a policy that is as 100% clear as possible and where the intent, and the intent actually comes through emails, back and forth, dialogue. I mean, how do we, how do we clarify intent? Because it's, it's beyond the policy, right? You, you got to well, have... So, so it it can be beyond the policy, and, and we're getting into some legalese here, and some mm -hmm. some, some uh, there's case law that really discusses what uh -huh. to do when there's ambiguity around a policy provision. But uh -huh. ultimately, and ideally, what you would want is the intent to be reflected in the policy itself, because the contract is the policy, right? Yeah. So yeah. ultimately, the contract has to stand up on its own on its own merits, and mm -hmm. to the extent that it can do that. The better it is from a couple for a couple of perspectives, because one, we understand in when we're adjusting claims what it is that the underwriters ultimately intended, and we are bound by the terms and conditions of the policy when we mm -hmm. are adjusting claims, whatever yeah. those whatever those happen to be. So the, to the extent that it can uh, that the policy can really demonstrate the intent, that's yeah. the ideal. That's absolutely mm -hmm. the ideal, and ultimately it makes for a better relationship between us and our customers because everybody knows what they're getting going in. Yeah. It's right. if, if a customer is, is uh, confused about intent ultimately, and they anticipate that something will be covered in the event that it's triggered only to find out when a claim hits that it's not, those are, those are difficult conversations to have for obvious reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let me shift gear here on you. We at Zurich Canada, we insure a lot of, um, of Canadian companies that have exposures around the world, but a lot have exposures in the U.S. You know, the, the market has been what it is in the last couple of years. It's difficult terms and conditions, pricing for customers that have um, products and or other types of exposures to the U.S., uh, we talk a lot about social inflation. It's not in the policy. It's really not. It's really not very much in the conversations we have with brokers. But internally at Zurich, we talk a lot about social inflation and what it means for us as an insurance company. Can you explain to us what that term really entails? And is this a U.S. phenomenon only? And and if not, does how does it impact Canada? Yeah. So, so let me start by saying this: there is upward uh, pressure for losses everywhere, including Canada. To the extent that we're seeing it in the U.S., we have not seen that type of pressure in Canada as of yet, and I'm hoping that we never do. And there are a lot of different reasons why in Canada we've got uh, certain safeguards around what's going on in the U.S. So, for example, mm -hmm. we have a, a general damages cap that is that, that is in, that is, uh, it's case law that says you can only get so much for general damages, which doesn't exist in the U.S. So you end up with these runaway jury awards in the U.S. that continually um, push awards higher and obviously create larger and larger losses. You also have a litigation environment in the U.S. that is um, incredibly, incredibly expensive and much more expensive than, 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 than here in Canada for a whole host of reasons. Our litigation process is significantly different than what, uh, than, than the one in the U S and the way that it's run in the U S. Um, 
all that being said, is that in the U.S. there are these upward pre- these these upward pressures that have over time mm-hmm. significantly increased losses and obviously significantly increased the effect on on insurance policies and the payouts on on those insurance policies. And it is an issue. It's it's absolutely an issue. It's it it speaks to profitability. It speaks to uh, ultimately how we are able to. Uh, to account for these losses, and, and our underwriters are struggling with with, uh, with 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 those pressures, particularly when our customers have exposures in the U.S. Yeah, so trying to put a box around the the cost of defense cost, the you know defense cost in the U.S. is almost impossible for an underwriter, right? I mean, you, you don't know if it's going to be a five million or a ten million or twenty million jury award, and so how do you quantify this? How do you price that risk? It's tough. Um, it's yeah. tough. Yeah, and so hence the sort of back and forth that we see sometimes with defense costs within the limit or outside the limit, and you know everybody has a different opinion on that, obviously. Yep. But if it's if it's outside the limit, then it makes the job of the underwriter very complicated to sort of try to put a price tag on this, right? Because you don't know if it's going to be, you don't know if the lawsuit is going to be a year long or five year long or 10 years and whatever. And, and we have experience, firsthand experience in Canada, at Zurich Canada to, to pay for a significant um, defense cost. Um, Absolutely. With, with zero indemnity, right? So we're basically, we're basically making uh, a bunch of lawyers very rich in not paying any indemnity at the end of the day. But we absolutely have had those situations where it's a defense cost only and defense cost could be in the millions of dollars. Absolutely. And then again, you, you, you repeated the issue around the jury awards. Those, those runaway jury awards are difficult to predict and, and out of the hands of, of the people who would have the knowledge to make uh, what I would think were smarter decisions. So uh, you know, if it becomes punitive, if it becomes a matter of, uh, if, it, if it's in the hands of a, of a jury, you don't know what that award will ultimately be, can ultimately be. And, it's, and it's, it can be scary. Right. And, and there's no, across the provinces in Canada, it's, it's a lot more consistent. We don't have, we don't have a lot of discrepancy between what we'll see in a verdict in Quebec versus British Columbia or Ontario, or are we seeing Either. those... So there are differences. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain there are certain sort of jurisdictions, and obviously Quebec's a little bit of a different uh, yeah, yeah. situation because it is a civil code jurisdiction as opposed to a common law jurisdiction. The rest of the country is is is, is uh, are, the rest of the provinces are all common law jurisdictions. Um, there is there are differences, but the differences are not the differences. I would say are not. Uh, between the provinces are not as stark as between Canada and the U.S. Yeah, and okay. and again, there's a lot of safeguards in the Canadian litigation system. Um, for example, we all, every province has a loser pay system to a different degree. And in Quebec, for example, the costs are not generally costs awarded are not generally as high, but it can deter people from uh, bringing suits that are frivolous because ultimately they may have to pay for that as a mm-hmm. result. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't generally see that in the U.S., so it's easier for someone to bring a frivolous suit and walk away without any consequences. Yeah. Um, so, so, so we've got we've we've definitely got certain safeguards that that they don't have in the U.S. that protect us or are are somewhat protecting us from those upward pressures that they're experiencing in the U.S. Okay. One last question having to do with inflation, but this 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 time it's real inflation, so monetary inflation. 
we see inflation in the US, we see, I think, a little bit of inflation pressure going on in Canada and, you know, other other parts of the world as well. What is the impact of inflation in general on an insurance company and on the claim side of, of, of the ledger in particular? It's very simple. Claims claims costs go up. Losses go yeah. up as a mm-hmm. result. I mean, mm-hmm. when you talk about first party losses, for example, and you talk about increase in labor costs as a result of either labor shortages or other inflationary pressures, um, we end up paying more to rebuild a building or to rebuild a piece of equipment um, or quite frankly, to replace a bumper than we did, than we would have five, 10, 15 years ago, or, or yeah. even a year ago in certain cases. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. obviously those inflationary pressures have an impact on claims adjusting and ultimately the loss, the ultimate loss that we end up paying, which obviously has, has an impact on, on loss ratios. Right. So because we collected premium a year ago for a claim that could materialize a couple of years from now. So the premium is in the bank and those are $2020 premium, but the claim is gonna be in $2023. And that was not necessarily contemplated when we assessed the risk. And certainly inflation is rarely contemplated, certainly for first party risk, right? When we, uh, when we assess risk. So, so what's, what's the remedy here? What, what, what can insurance companies do to well, try to we, mitigate the impact of inflation? When you're looking at short tail lines, I mean the 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 policy period. It usually happens close to inception of the policy, so it's it's always within the policy period. So mm-hmm. you've got a little bit of 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 um, protection that way. Protection that way, absolutely. Mm-hmm. From a first party perspective, it's a little different, obviously, from a third party perspective. And and think about it when you have a third party. If it's a third party claim, interest can accrue. So there's also there's also those types of issues that you you'll want to uh, you'll want to be cognizant of. Mm-hmm. It's tough, right? It's it's yeah. it's it is it does it become from an underwriter's perspective a shell game of just trading dollars, mm-hmm. or it, or is it something, or or do you sort of ha- have to figure out a strategy, whether it be increased deductibles, increased retentions, mm-hmm. uh, that that will ultimately ensure that we are ensuring the risks that the that our customers want us to insure but not necessarily playing a shell game with dollars right sense. right right and so the, this increased cost of future of meeting our future obligations has a has a cost right? i mean it, it's absolutely it's, yeah i mean it's it's either insurance companies may have to increase their reserves because they did not contemplate that inflation and obviously you would have to have serious inflation you know, to, to, yeah. for this to happen, not not just two or three percent, but um, but in general, so inflation is not necessar- necessarily the good for insurance companies when we think about claims, right? Insurance companies or or customers, for that matter. So it'll be interesting to see this year and the next year how insurance companies in general uh, adjust, and when you look at the um, the financials, how they adjust, if 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 at all, their reserves for to make sure that they will be around um, years hence um, to meet their future obligations because of that increased cost inflation. It's been, it's been a, it, you know, we're going, don't know where it's going to go. I mean, there mm-hmm. have been some indications that the Bank of Canada is thinking about raising interest rates. So that may cool the inflationary pressures on, in, in, yeah. in some way, but we just, we just don't know that right now. Yeah. Right? It, yeah. It's, we're right in the middle of something that's unprecedented. So we don't know where things are going to go. And it's, it's, 
you know, if I were if I were an underwriter or an actuary, I would find it particularly tough, right? Yeah, to yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Joe, one last question, question that I ask all of my guests. Um, now we are seeing really literally the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel here. We're, Zurich Canada, we're, we're allowing 25% of our people across our offices in Canada to go back to the office next week. That is July 12th. I'm very much looking forward to going back in the office. When you're not in the office and you're not doing insurance, what do you do for fun? Fun? What's that, Alba? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, you know, so I, so my my partner and I, we we like to travel. That's that's our thing. So this this past year and a half has been very very difficult for us because we haven't been able to travel. So yeah. I expect at least a few trips in the fall when things start to open up a little bit. That's 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 the plan so far. In any good, event. good. Well, I, I hope I hope you're able to to travel the world again. And when borders open up, it'll be easier for everybody to go back and enjoy yeah. a, a visit overseas. Joe, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate this was very uh, helpful, very informative. Thank you and take care. Thanks, you too, Abba. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Joe. So a couple of takeaways for me um, from this conversation with Joe. Um, So uh, three years ago, almost three years ago, Zurich Canada was an $875 million company. At the end of 2020, so almost two and a half years later, we were a $1.2 billion company. So needless to say, a lot more claims, different organization, the need to um, internalize more functions, roles, to have control over claims. That is absolutely critical for an insurance company to have as much control as possible over what's going on in the, control, in, in the claim space. Um, Joe told us that about 20% and growing probably of Zurich Canada's staff works in the claims area. That's over 100 people out of 500. So just nothing earth shattering here, but uh, maybe for those of you who are not all that well acquainted with insurance companies, over 20% of our staff, that's what they do, right? Is is manage claims on a day-to-day basis. We talked about social inflation because that is absolutely relevant and critical for Zurich Canada, given the size of our uh, large account portfolio. All of our large account customers have operations in the U.S. It makes the underwriting of those exposures uh, complicated, not impossible, but complicated. And social inflation, which is a U.S. phenomenon, um, Joe explained to us that it doesn't happen in Canada. Uh, We're relatively um, shielded from that makes the job of underwriters, casualty underwriters in particular, more complicated, right? Because putting that box around the quantification for risk in an environment where jury awards and um, awards in general keep going up in a rather unpredictable manner, it's complicated, right? It's complicated for underwriters. It makes the job of claims folks also a little bit more uh, difficult, but this is why we, we, we are who we are. And then, and then the last topic was inflation. A lot more to come on this. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe in a, in a few months we have another podcast just on inflation and understanding a little bit more at a granular level the impact of inflation on the total balance sheet of an insurance company. Because today we really talked about the inflation for claims, which you know claims will go up in the future if, if, as inflation becomes more and more of a phenomenon. But there's another impact to the balance sheet of an insurance company, which didn't have have the time to go into. 
today. And that will probably be the topic of another podcast in the next several months. So as always, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate your, um, your listening to the podcast. If you have suggestions, ideas on a podcast, please email us at ca.podcast at zurich.com. The uh, podcast can also be found on the Zurich Canada website. Thank you for your time. And uh, we'll be talking to you very soon. Take care. Bye. The information in this audio recording was compiled from sources believed to be reliable for general information purposes and is intended for Zurich clients and business partners. The information contained herein may be useful to you or your enterprise when developing your own policies and procedures. The policies and procedures applicable to your enterprise should take into account the specific circumstances of your business and business environment, which is beyond the capacity of this podcast. Any and all information provided is not intended to constitute advice of any nature and is specifically not legal advice. And accordingly, you should consult with your own legal counsel. We do not guarantee the accuracy of this information presented or any results and further assume no liability in connection with this recording and the information provided therein. Moreover, Zurich reminds you that the information provided cannot be assumed to contain every acceptable safety and compliance procedure or that additional procedures might not be appropriate under the circumstances. The subject matter of this recording is not tied to any specific insurance product, nor will adopting these policies and procedures ensure coverage under any insurance policy. We encourage listeners to seek additional information from credible sources. Thank you. This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.